Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast in association with Motus Learning. Um, so myself and Christy are here again, just continuing our conversation about uh, sports and mental health and looking at the different mental health implications regarding sports psychology and elite athletes. Um, and following on into kind of the theme of the conversations we're having, we're looking at another one of those uh, key areas of, um, you know, that drive elite uh, performance in sport athletes and one of the areas Christy that was mentioned was high quality relationships and the support of people around around you sorry and like that's I'm sure related to the coaching the teammates and things like that so maybe just to kick off uh, Christy uh, it'd be cool to kind of just give your at least your kind of research understanding of the importance of coaching and kind of recommendations and things like that around coaching in a child's upbringing yeah um so i think this is quite an interesting area because i don't think it's been looked at a lot i apologize if it um if there are some researchers who have been looking at it but to the best of my knowledge i'm not aware um but as we've already mentioned it's actually really really important um particularly coaching obviously parenting is important but a coach is kind of like that new adult that a child is exposed to and has to respect um and so, as we mentioned already, sport can be the context in which children develop. And so coaches have a big role to play in that development, even if they're not aware of it. And parents need to manage the emotions then come alongside sport uh, when their children are playing, like, for example, like losing a match or getting sent off and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I think they, um, they have a huge role to play. And so I suppose how we're planning on breaking this up is we're firstly going to discuss coaching and then we're going to move into parenting. Um, so, and I know you have, we've spoken about this before we started recording, uh, you have experience of being a coach. So mm. um, I suppose I'll ask you the question first, uh, why did you want to do it? And then secondly, like, what did you learn from it? Um, so why did I want to do it? I suppose, well, in my case, obviously it's the, you know, enjoying the sport. So it's another avenue to be involved in the sport. Um I don't know whether this is tied to it, but um, I suppose it, it's for selfish reasons, really, in a sense that, and actually, it, I think it comes back to an, a topic we've always spoken about before, is that whole idea of, um, you know, you know, you know, we've spoken in the past about the whole idea of giving and how uh, giving allows you to feel like a good feeling. And so, therefore, it's not a case that, like, giving, when we talk about... Um, good for your mental health is because it also gives the person who's giving a positive feeling so i suppose from my perspective it was the kind of selfish reasons of i enjoyed the feeling of seeing other players kids that i coached being successful and feeling like i helped contribute towards that so although yes they're successful and, and that's great and i'm giving my expertise and my coaching to help them be successful there's the selfish kind of feeling within me and i don't know is it selfish but it definitely the internal uh, satisfaction of seeing kids be successful in their sports and i could help in some way that that was definitely something that i used to always enjoy um and i i suppose you know it's just an, as i said it, you know it's a way to kind of maybe as a player you spend a lot of time working with different coaches and developing different ideas on how a sport can be played and so by coaching gives you an opportunity to maybe try and have your team play in a way that you'd like it to be played you know you feel a social responsibility when you were training kids or did you yeah as like i'm teaching them sport 
I mean, a, a development, I, I suppose, kind of like, particularly because I, I would have coached kids from, you know, very young, like five, six, and then eight to 10, 12, 13s. And I think maybe the oldest I've coached is maybe around 15, uh, maybe 16. And I definitely did feel, particularly because in a lot of those cases, I was coaching similar groups of kids, um, you know, who were transitioning the way up. I certainly felt a level of responsibility in regards helping them socially develop in a certain way you know i suppose you know you do have to do a lot of kind of courses around coaching these days so you know you're trained to deal with you know the social aspects of managing different age groups but i definitely felt an element of responsibility to try and help them develop socially you know and that that maybe involved uh, that you know probably drove some of the discipline areas as well and you know their kind of relationship amongst the different players and definitely trying to you know help them develop good social habits amongst their colleagues that they play with and respect for the people that work with them and coach them and play them. Did you have any parental interference? I, I did. It's probably, um, and, and I suppose the other thing to, to remember, I suppose for anyone or not remember, no one, no, not listeners don't know, but a bit of context was, so I would have coached kids probably from the age of about 18 to 23, maybe uh, for about five years um maybe six years probably about 17 18 uh to about 23 24 those are the kind of age i was i haven't coached in the last few years because i've been focusing on my own uh, playing and career and things like that but at the time you know at the start particularly i was quite young i would have been definitely by considerable mile the youngest coach involved uh with the teams and there was an element of pressure because you are still considered a child yourself and a lot of people would have seen you as a child so um to then be responsible for a group of kids. Obviously, I had other coaches who were a lot older than me, but there was an element of pressure from parents, which I think personally, probably my mental health at the time uh, and anxiety and stress you know, were driven a little bit uh, at times through those experiences because it was a lot of pressure. You had adults who uh, were you know, kind of holding you responsible for um, how their kids either got on performance-wise or how their kids, you know, felt from the experience and so at times it was quite a lot to take you know to kind of you know to take on board and to manage and uh, definitely uh, I think from the time I was a child when you know parents didn't interfere I don't think too much it was very much a coach did their thing and parents probably didn't get involved I, I, as much. I disagree with that uh well yeah maybe that was my personal experience again uh, these are all kind of my own personal experiences from when I played I don't remember it being as uh you know kind of two-way communication but again parents i think are a lot more involved in their kids uh maybe lives. maybe you're right i i have memories though of there always seemed to be that parent on the sideline shouting but no a parent on the sideline shouting i mean more so parents what i did experience towards the end was parents actually you know approaching you after game one-on-one -on -one to have a debate around what you were doing with their kids, which I think, and when you come back to, did I feel a responsibility to the social aspect, social aspect as well as the coaching aspect, that was probably something I learned from those experiences a bit more, was that uh, I quickly realized, you know, the responsibility I had in a sense to, um, you know, in that kind of social education side of things and responsibility, because I, you know, when you just have a group of kids down, in a training session you forget that you know you're just taking responsibility for these kids but 
in the kids' lives, this football is quite a big part of their development. And so when you have parents then, you know, taking quite a hands-on role and maybe being quite critical face-to-face with you about how you're treating their kids or how you're working with their kids, it kind of shocks you a little bit, but then reminds you that actually you're you're an important guardian to that kid at quite a formative years in their life because to them, sport is at that time nearly is their everything. And you play a key role in how they develop within that sport and that can have a big impact how they develop in life so i think i had to grow up quite a bit and also i think in later years after i took a few years off i've looked back on the experience and said yeah given i was young and i got into it due to a love of sport i probably was naive in my understanding of how important it is in the development of children as well so uh, that's definitely an area that i realized probably in hindsight was as big a role as the coaching uh, I, I would nearly say that some coaches maybe kind of ignore it. They downplay the social responsibility because it's so much of a responsibility. Um, I think coaches have a lot bigger role than they're probably aware because, as you mentioned, the people management aspect of managing parents, every parent wants their child to play. That's obvious, um, mm-hmm. for example. But then you also have the children, like, for example, maybe there's a child there who doesn't want to be playing, but they may go. Or maybe there's a child who has no friends on the team um and you kind of have to manage all of that like there's a lot going on um and that's why i think as a community i think it's very very important that more people are involved i think um, more of the right people too mm. um so yeah what i'm just quickly going to do now on is just run through um like some tips i would have for coaches you from your experience can agree or disagree with them yeah um so yeah, I suppose the first thing to start with, um, this is becoming more known in at the top level, but like, you know, when you name the great managers, like I'm thinking immediately of soccer, I'm thinking of like the Mourinho's, the Klops, et cetera. Yeah. Um, man management is obviously a big, big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Like they basically need to be able to manage the players individually to understand what they want, what they like and how to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... What's really important now as a coach is the trainers need to constantly be checking on how players are mentally because the original assumption, again, was that uh, winning makes people happy, but it's more bi-directional and it's actually that a happy state of mind increases the team's or the player's athlete's chances of winning because okay. when you're happy, when you're doing something you enjoy, you perform better because you're in a more relaxed state of mind. Yeah. I think a very relevant example to this is if you remember Simone Biles pulled out of uh, the possibility of winning more Olympic medals mm. and what she said in her post was that she knew that she would not have performed because she was not in the right state of mind and so she took a break she came back and then she ended up winning more medals than afterwards mm-hmm. um, yeah and I, I think that wasn't actually I know it was kind of big news at the time but from my recollection, I don't think an athlete has ever done that. Not at that late stage, because she almost got all the way to competing. It you know it wasn't like it. It was a long, a long way out. We've seen it more recently as well with what's that tennis player from the UK? Um, the woman. Yeah, the young girl. Didn't Emma she pull out due to stress? Yeah, Emma Raducanu. And there's also sorry, um, Osaka as well. You're right. She had yeah, the tennis player from Japan too. Um, yeah, this just shows the importance, I suppose, of somebody stepping up and then more will follow. Um, I suppose it's kind of diff- diff- different with uh, team sports and individual sports, like most of the stuff we've spoken about. Um, with team sports as well, I think it's 
like there's so much dynamics to manage even before you even think about tactics and winning a game for example as a coach I think you really have to think about like how individuals fit into the rest of the team as a group you know mm. you have like the best players in the world but if they all have the wrong attitude they're not going to work well together yeah um there's one term i think is very useful to identify it's known as social loaf uh social loafing and this refers to when basically somebody feels they have to do less because they're part of a team they'll get away with it yeah yeah like that's an immediate attitude problem as it is like you what you really want is you want a combination of in each individual player trying to play to the best of their performance but also being aware that they're part of the team and that as a group they can only perform better than like however many individuals playing together if that makes sense so just to interject there so would you say then for a coach in this sense you know of a team versus of an individual it's it's it can often be more challenging for the coach of a team because they've got to have one an understanding of the mental state of all of their players and then also have the emotional intelligence to manage and respond to that or get the right expertise depending on each player's individual circumstances whereas for an individual sport and a coach of an individual they can focus purely entirely of maximizing the success of that one individual person yes i would i would agree with that but again this is just my opinion this is not um, yeah. search fact um i would say that you see it, people only ever focus on if you're best player people um i i would feel that there's kind of this air of you want your best player to, or your best players to perform so we mm. only need to focus on the mental state of them. But I feel that even the players that aren't as good, if their mental state is off, that affects the rapport of the entire team. Yeah. And so we want everybody to be in a healthy mental state because it's not maybe better for individual mental health, but it's better for collective mental health among the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this goes a lot further than sport. Yes, winning is important and playing better is important, but the difference as well is your creating a community within that team you're creating uh like social support like especially like i know from experience of growing up with sports like like the people you play sports with if you enjoy sports are more than likely going to be your very close friends you're yeah. essentially going out to a pitch or a court to like fight for them to like you know it's over exaggeration but to die for them you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and I know this, that's a whole different conversation going into like the locker room dynamics then, which can be unhealthy, toxic masculinity. But I'm referring to in relation to the mental health benefits of it, that yeah. if you can basically manage a team successfully, that compete well and like each other, that goes a long, long way to like, again, coaches aren't even aware of this, but it can actually impact other children's lives. Like, mm. um, yeah, so and here out of curiosity so obviously um when we talk about you know coaching you know there's obviously coaches of adult teams and where understanding their mental health is vitally important because it gets the maximum performance out of every individual and ensures in a team dynamic there is a cohesive unit that works well together and everyone benefits each other um but would you say given you know the whole understanding of neuroplasticity and also the understanding of how much development children have to go through in those kind of formative years particularly when sport at that time is there everything uh is the 
responsibility and social responsibility of the coach even greater at that level because of how much impact and they can have on that child because as you mentioned at the start of our conversation that that coach can be just as an important adult role model and adult figure to that child as their parents or teachers um we had james leonard on i think i've mentioned this like five times but his one thing that he could emphasize to benefit the next generation was making people more aware of the benefit of sport for that exact context this one good adult because the beauty of sport is that there's no socioeconomic status in some sports like i know obviously like there's well-to-do sports like polo maybe tennis and even swimming but like let's say ga or soccer anybody mm. can play that and that's fantastic so you need to remember that there's children coming to play these games whether it be in school or outside of school and their home life could be terrible you know they could have no um role models like parents or caregivers or siblings so the coach becomes that figure that kind of father figure for a lot of people and so again this goes back to this big important um role of the coach again um with the point you were making there i think it's also it's still very important even if you're training adults because mm. uh well on a professional level adults at a high standard are essentially children because like as most of our guests have said who are sports psychologists the social emotional development is really low because these athletes have only focused on sport and so you are essentially working with children from a social yeah. emotional perspective but for children specifically you need to realize the amount of things that can happen even within a match that re can really really impact their social emotional development and the coach is the person who advises what they should do in that situation like mm. for example a dangerous tackle in rugby maybe um like how do you respond to that do you mm. tell yourself does your inner voice tell you that you were in the right it wasn't a bad tackle or do you apologize to the person you're after um tackling speaking to the ref getting sent off how do you respond to that if you're losing what's your approach to like do you give up or do you keep going there's lots and lots of little moments which as we've spoken about before it's a microcosm for life sport yeah and so all those little impacts the piece of the nuggets of advice that a coach gives to a child in those moments like after the match and reflection oh how did you feel when this happened how did you think about this how would you have responded if you could have again those little things are important it's not just let them play and then leave afterwards it's important that you help them develop and that's a big big that's a big scary role that i know not all coaches will take up but I do think it's the benefit for both the coach and the children if the coach does have an awareness of their responsibilities um, mm. approaching it. Yeah, I suppose because it's like you said, it, it, you know, big scary. Obviously, you don't want to be discouraging people from getting involved that it's, you know, it's such a big responsibility because obviously, like we said at the start, because of the important role it plays in child development, uh, it's the more people that can get involved and the more parents and guardians of people that can get involved to help out in the coaching capacity in some way is going to benefit. So that's important. But I think it is funny because when you mention it, how important a role, it's only when, you know, as a person who played sport my whole life and you think back to kind of key moments in your life growing up. And if you were big into sport, then growing up, a lot of your key moments in life were sport related. But it's funny how 
those adults that were involved in coaching you play such a pivotal role in your or pivotal yes at a role and have a important stature in your memories of those events you know of those kind of key development events of successes or failures or challenges in relation to your sport that at that time were like such big life moments um how the coach is such a key figure in those memories uh and then you think back oh wow that it you know it, it, it kind of is kind of quite you know scary to an extent of how big a role those coaches play but then again like i said we don't want to discourage people and say it's just such a big responsibility you shouldn't get involved but you also do remember like i remember from my childhood i remember these shit coaches as well oh yeah absolutely yeah you know the ones who didn't take as much an interest so they all stand out yeah Hmm. yeah and again like the ones the coaches you generally have fond memories of are probably the ones who you performed better during like you probably had more wins as opposed to the ones that mm-hmm. um were shit and you probably lost every match like <laughs> yeah yeah um, and I, I i think that brings up actually an important topic that i have here in my notes as well is um you'll have some coaches who take over and they'll see themselves as tactical geniuses. They might watch sport every weekend and then they go out and they're making children run nonstop so that they can perfect the, like the hard press or, or the high press. Mm. Um, or you might have Gaelic footballing coaches, for example, and they're going out trying to play like the Ulster way of football with full defending. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's important to note, like children are still playing sport for fun and we need to balance that. Um, like I do think there's a balancing act there in that like you still do need to train hard. Like I think training hard teaches discipline. Um, and you don't want a coach who only focuses on having fun and then you go out and get hammered every match. Mm. Like you, you I I do think it is healthy for managers to promote winning, but um you don't want to uh like you don't want to promote a lack of effort, but again you need to remember it's not the army and <laughs> children do need to have fun <laughs> as well. It's all about balance, essentially. I think. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, one question I did have was obviously we talk a lot about parents and parenting. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk in more depth about parenting, specifically mental health. But when we talk about like parenting athletes, where, where does the crossover between a coach and a parent in relation to an athlete, you know, is there is there a lot of crossover and similar kind of guidelines around that yeah so this is what i do have research on and you are um we've already briefly talked about it the um it's i I think it's very commonplace for the parent to basically trying to control their child's life basically so they might have a word with the coach saying that they should be playing um so there was a study done by dr camilla knight university of alberta in canada And what they did is they did focus groups. So like group interviews with junior tennis players and the specific research question was asking about basically, what do you find annoying about your parents in relation to sport? And they basically found four things that were consistent, uh, um, which I'm sure a lot of people would be familiar with. The first thing that they said they found extremely annoying was that parents should comment on attitude and effort, but never technique and tactics. So parents telling you, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that is is in this study. What they found is it's not very helpful, but um, motivation being like when you need to push yourself, for example, that is helpful of parents. It's support. It's not uh, 
criticism about tactics or this is how I would have done it or this is how you should do it. Not helpful. Okay. Second thing is um, parents are helpful when they provide practical advice, such as like reminders of nutrition, warm ups, stretching, that type of thing. But again, tactics, not so much. So like basically your parent is not there to tell you what to do. They're there to remind you of what you already know, essentially. Okay, That's yeah, an important yeah. distinction. The other thing then is parents' nonverbal signals, such as body language and facial expression, should match what they say verbally. So this is kind of just tying back to kids aren't stupid. So even if <laughs> uh, parents might come up and say, oh, you played really great, and their body language is kind of like not really making eye contact and kind of being sarcastic that like you didn't actually play great. Yeah. You, you need to basically be aware of your nonverbal communication as well as what you're saying as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also go as far as saying, be honest, like if you didn't think your child played well, maybe say it, depending on what their social emotional development is. Yeah. And the final point is, and this is the big one, Parents should understand and respect the etiquette of the game. And this was the most common one. So yeah. basically, don't shout at the ref because it doesn't help anything. Um, yeah. And this goes back to like what we spoke about, about emotional hijacking and um, parents should be able to control themselves. You know, it's good yeah. that we're there for support, but that's not going to help anything. So with helpful thoughts and also remembering your brain train that we spoke about in our workshop. Um, mm -hmm. That's really, really important too. Do you have anything else to add other than that? No, I think it's just funny when you mention all those things. There's so many examples you can think of of like either parents uh, trying to coach from sidelines or uh, I, a frustration of mine growing up was, you know, uh, my mom would always have been, you know, she'd want to have been gentler on you than maybe my, my dad would have been after a poor game. So my mom would have done that exact thing of, oh, you did great. Even if you know yourself, you didn't do great. And, you know, from, you know, as you said, kids aren't stupid. And even when I was like eight years old, you could see through that straight away. And it almost got you more angry that your mom was trying to avoid telling you you played badly because, you know, it almost was treating you like you didn't understand, you know. That's actually a perfect example of like the, the opportunity for development there is not ask, not telling, oh, you played great or, oh, you played shit, but more so like, what did you think of the game? And yeah. what do you think you could have done better? You know, yeah. again, kind of providing that scaffolding for your child essentially to uh, to kind of think about, to reflect on what happened and basically how they can improve it. And I suppose respects the child's, uh, you know, they're the ones who are playing the game. So, you know, it respects and gives respect to their knowledge of the game and, you know, kind of almost, as you said, gives them the opportunity to kind of think about how they would approach it differently, which is a very empowering thing for a child, you know, particularly uh, to be able to respond to that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think all the other things I totally agree with. I think, uh, you know, I mean, we only saw recently, uh, sadly, it's in Wicklow, uh, but there was that video that went viral. And I think it had it was addressed, I think, by the GAA of, you know, there was some sort of a, um, a fight after a juvenile game. I think it was an under 15s or under 16s game. And it was all parents involved. And there were parents, the reason it went viral is because some parents were videoing it, but it was parents having a full-on uh, punching match for all intents and purposes after the game over a result that didn't go their way or refereeing decisions or things like that. And that just shows an example of, there were all those 16-year-old kids watching it happen in front of them. And, 
what are those kids going to do be like then as players as they grow up you know probably respond to results in that way yeah. um and people so, and people yeah and people yeah in general that's how they respond to negative experiences as people as adults which uh yeah i think in hindsight if parents saw that video back would be um more than embarrassed i would say um and one last thing i actually forgot um we have a blog post on this um and i think as far as i remember we briefly talked touched on it when we were talking about stress um for any very serious athletes um if parents need recommendations on how to manage this there's actually a big decision that parents have to make in that uh over exercising children who are elite athletes over exercising mm. actually has a dangerous effect on puberty and what I mean by a dangerous effect is that it delays puberty, which is why you'll see a lot of athletes in the Olympics who might be quite young, maybe in gymnastics, and they might seem underdeveloped. Um, like they they basically, their growth hormones mightn't have kicked in as much. That's because mm. constant exercise, basically what exercise does is it activates the stress response and the activation of the stress response basically inhibits the other hormones such as sex hormones uh being released into the body mm. and so we can have a kind of big effect on it and like for example young girls their puberty might or their um like menstrual cycle might hit a lot later in life as a result yeah. um i'm noting that because i think it's important for parents to know not only can it have a negative effect it doesn't always have a negative effect but also to remove the panic of what the hell is happening to my child um and I suppose that's also why, you know, if you have a child or um, have a teenager who's, you know, getting really serious and into their sport and are very good and are competing at a good level, I think that's why we're emphasizing the importance of these coaching principles and the emphasis of, you know, good quality coaching because, uh, and parents, you know, looking for that advice and, you know, not assuming things, but trying to get the best support and coaching and offer the best support to their children because they're the things that become even more important as they go into, as you said, that elite level of sport where, you know, things like overtraining, you know, at, a, you know, at a basic level, training is good, but then when you get into the elite level, too much becomes bad. And so that's where the education piece comes in and f focusing on um, best practices around coaching and things like that to, you know, to help reassure parents then that they're getting the best, the best treatment. Wow. Um, what do you feel about, you know, like there's a lot of athletes out there that were essentially products like I know Tiger Woods is a very famous example. Um, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I, as far as I'm aware, Serena and Venus Williams were similar in that, like they were made play a certain sport for all of their lives, basically to get where they are. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion on that? Do you think it's healthy or unhealthy? I think I think this comes down to kind of the good coaching and good parenting because I was just thinking about it in a sense that I know growing up I idolized those type of athletes you know the Tiger Woodses and the players the you know the ones who were like pushed really hard as children to be successful um and as I've grown up I would say yeah that's not healthy and I suppose what I benefited from was I, as a child growing up, I idolized that elite mentality, but then probably had a healthier kind of parenting and coaching. So I kind of matched that kind of 
ambition to be that good, but probably was then given the freedom to have a more balanced childhood and, you know, lifestyle growing up. So then it kind of, I didn't suffer maybe in the social side of things. I think it's a challenge because, you know, I suppose if you turned around and talked to those athletes, your Tiger Woods is and your Serena Williams and stuff and asked them, would they do it all again? They probably would say they would. But then the challenge is they don't know any different. So it's hard to then for them to judge whether it would be, um, you know, what their life would be like if their parents hadn't pushed them as hard as they did. You know, yeah. I, I personally, you think that you like there should always be a backup basically i think it's okay to push a child and but they should be constantly monitoring it mm. um and like through that monitoring they still need to have an awareness that they can still have an exit strategy essentially not um because i'd say this happens all the time where you are pushing your child you're pushing you're pushing you're pushing then they have a bad injury and they essentially have nothing and i'd say mental health plummets in that situation and I think that's a bit irresponsible um, because that is the parents' responsibility. Mm. Um, I think a big problem now, like obviously we have the whole uh, Mason Greenwood issue that um, yeah. is just happening. Like, and there's people arguing that saying, oh, you know, this it's this young man given thousands and thousands a week and they went straight from school, primary school, I'd imagine, into football. But like... I still think that that's the parents' responsibility. The parents mm. should be able to develop them social emotionally, even outside of what they might have had normally in school, for example, or in, uh, in inverted commas, normal life. Um, yeah. You've, I mean, you, you mentioned Tiger Woods when you were describing that, but I mean, you know, he is the archetypal, you know, you know, kind of elite athlete who had everything, but had such little education on the social aspects and development that he went off the rails and then obviously when that all came crashing down you saw from a you know from a mental health perspective naturally not not condoning anything he did but when you look at the mental health impact of that how long it took him and how big an impact it had in his entire career when all that scandal came out and how it all kind of crumbled how ultimately they're like a fine-tuned racehorse, for example. You know, I always use that as an example, like a thoroughbred racehorse, where as long as everything is going well, they're, everything is going swell. And But they're so finely tuned and so well kind of trained and geared towards sporting success that anything goes wrong, they crumble. Like a thoroughbred racehorse who is an excellent racehorse but if they get it even the smallest injury normally they have to put them down because they're not capable of doing anything else it, it, it's that kind of all your eggs in one basket scenario that you know when it comes off it's great but when it doesn't it, it can be ugly and uh, it's a challenge I suppose the problem is you're always going to have it because there's always going to be someone who's going to want to push the boundaries to the limit to be the best at whatever that sport is I think where it is difficult is um, that professional sport where there's so much money behind it, but also because it is your career, so that you can't really focus on anything else. It's why I've always kind of had a lot of respect for, at least at this point, you know, it might get worse as time goes on, but um, professional rugby, I quite liked their model in a sense. It is a lot of money, you know, in some case, in, in, you know, it's a lot of money just in general uh, for the high-level athletes, but it's probably not enough to just, after you finish playing, not do anything again for the rest of your life. 
So a lot of them go through university because they all have to have some sort of backup plan. You even see Brian O'Driscoll, who arguably is like your, you know, at one point was like your Cristiano Ronaldo of rugby. He still was your top, 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 you know, probably one of the few rugby players, given it's such a small sport on a global scale, has sort of a bit of a cross-sporting respect and, you know, is often well-known across different um sectors of sport you know you see that he often is at you know invited to the Wimbledon uh, finals and all that he has quite a lot of celebrity status outside of just the rugby game but yet he runs his own media production company how many ex-footballers you know you know um soccer players do that much so I think that that's where sometimes it's dangerous is when the career aspect is so heavily tied to the sporting aspect you know it, it, it can get ugly if things go wrong hmm. yeah um yeah, I just think, I suppose, in summary, um, see, like, there, there's no there's no right or wrong answer there. Like, I think it's individualized depending on the child. Like, the parent should be able to make the assumption in not in one moment, but in several moments over the development of the child if they're able for the lifestyle of... Because, again, sports similar to life is kind of this thing where... Um, and we're going to be discussing this in another podcast is like the level of performance is so high and the training so high for such a long period of time that the fall is so much worse. Mm. So like failure and the rejection is, um, is so, so difficult to manage then as well. Um, so arguably you need a better, arguably in that case, you need a stronger mentality and emotional kind of strength to manage that. Exactly, yeah. And then generally only the resilient end up succeeding, which I think yeah. again is kind of a microcosm um for life. But um yeah, I think just basically summarizing, I know this is a short uh, episode, but just for parents and coaches out there, I think coaches need to be more aware of um they have a big responsibility and if they are not aware of that, it might not be the end of the world, but if they are aware of it, it's not about downplaying the negative side of it, but it's about increasing the positive side of it. Like mm. they can have a big, big impact on children's lives for the good. And mm -hmm. as we've spoken about before, not every child excels in education, but they might excel in sport. And so mm. coaches there are the teachers. Um, mm. and that's how they should see it, in my opinion. And then in relation to parents, I think it's also important that they're aware that it's not their lives, it's their ch child's life. So they need to balance it, basically. Don't be over, um, don't be overwhelming, um, but be supportive continuously, basically. Yeah, and I was just thinking there, because I was thinking, what, what do I think is like one of the big benefits of sport and why parents should get their kids involved is the whole, um, and you mentioned it at the start, where there's no kind of uh status in a lot of sports anyway obviously some sports are being a bit more elite but in general sport is a very status free zone every kid from every background can take part get involved and become successful because um you know this it's very hard to decide where it's going to come from and so one of the big benefits is that it's pure athletic merit there's no status that would give anyone an added benefit you know on an athletic field the big thing i think that I wanted to kind of, you know, at least from my experience in coaching, one thing I've learned, and then I think one thing that we've tried to stress here is that as a coach, um, 
the importance of your role in a child's development, how that thing that um, James Leonard said is it's that one important adult. I think that's something that is often underappreciated by coaches and maybe, as you said previously, under recognized by coaches in the importance you have in child development. So there is a huge amount of social education built into that. Um, and obviously, uh, we see that with the challenges the sport brings, it's important for coaches and parents to recognize the mental health uh, of the child, of the athlete, um, of the players in every sport, and uh, consider those in how they approach um, upbringing the child uh, when they're playing the sport and obviously coaching the kids at sport. But um, yeah, I think that's everything from this episode. Uh, we'll obviously uh, be covering other kind of topics with our guests and uh, some of the other areas around uh, mental health with elite athletes. But um, as always, guys, if you like what you're hearing, if you enjoy listening, please like, share the podcast, leave a review if you can. It always helps us understand what are the preferred topics and how we prioritize certain themes on later podcasts. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website. And we'll be happy to take those on and uh, answer them where we can. So um, if that's all for me, that's all from Christy. And until next time, mind yourselves. Mm -hmm.